I believe that I don't know if anybody else noticed, but we've been on Matthew five for a long time, and this may be uh, the most pages I've written on any chapter that we've done because I have fifty-eight pages of notes on chapter five. Chapter five is fascinating. It's just Jesus Christ coming on the scene, showing up and clarifying all the crap that we messed up from the time the law was given until he came. All that stuff that we did to it in this one message, he goes, wait a minute, There's before as I begin, let's start with this. Let me fix some stuff you guys have broken. And uh, that's basically what's happening here. Page. See, I have to put the page number down because there's so many pages that I can't have a hard time finding. What did I say I was... 49? Is that what I said? Yeah, I believe that's what I said. Ah, yeah, cool. I got it. Uh, what we're doing is Jesus is continuing his teaching and uh, his first public teaching, and he is talking about um, uh, the law and the heart of the law. Uh, trying to not do what God really wants, but yet giving the appearance of that you're doing it. Um, for those of you who have had children, you may understand this. Um, you know, when you tell your kids to do something and they didn't really do it, but they tell you, but I did this. Um, I believe I had used an analogy a while back about, you know, my uh, parents telling me to clean the room so I go out and cut the grass. Well, that's not what I was asked to do. So, along those lines, Jesus then starts to uh, go point by point. Uh, actually quoting Old Testament scripture and then saying what you're doing wrong with it and then telling what you should do. Now, um, verse 29 says that Jesus says something that is often misunderstood. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part, one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Uh, before we start ripping off and gouging out body parts, let's take a look. Let's begin with dealing with something comparable yet in content, uh, yet different in subject. Different, uh, comparable in content, yet different in subject. Um, because this, he says it twice, uh, here and in Matthew 18. And it's basically the same analogy used for two different points, because it's such a powerful analogy. Um, in Matthew 18, Jesus, we'll, we'll deal with, we'll get Matthew 18 out of the way. Uh, ask, uh, disciples ask him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now that's something that's totally different than what Jesus is doing now. Uh, Jesus uses a child to make the point that humility, the lack of pride, is the benchmark used in the kingdom of heaven for such an honor as being the greatest. Those who seek honor are the least likely to get it from God. Jesus then addresses those to whom who would do harm to this child. So that's the context of Matthew 18 when he's saying, you know, rip off your arm, throw away your, gouge out your eyes stuff. Uh, he says, says this in Matthew 18, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone around his neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea. Um, Jesus continues on the topic of, of those who cause believers to stumble in verse 7 and then in verse 8 uses a similar analogy as what is found in 5. It's 
so he's not he's saying the same thing for two different reasons then after the analogy about removal of body parts in verse 10 jesus once again speaks to how believers in the body are to be protected in value so well i'll just read it to you from 18 woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks this remember we're talking about those who make the little child stumble that's the context who's the greatest and then he goes into this for it's inevitable that stump stumbling blocks come don't just breeze past that it's inevitable that you are going to face challenges people who want to keep you from the truth but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes if your hand or foot now that's the context of what we're talking about and then he goes right into the same thing if your hand or foot causes you to stumble cut it off throw it away from you what stumbling were we talking about we're talking about stumbling in your faith because somebody crept in and messed with the the faith of a child or one of god's children it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have and have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fires of hell if your eye causes you to stumble pluck it out and throw it from you it is better for you to enter life with one eye than two eyes and cast into the fiery hell see to you that no one okay so there's that teaching just jammed in between two things about protecting and caring for the faith of people in the church it's before and after it says see to you that no one despises one of these little ones for i say to you that their angels in heaven continually see my face of the father is heaven that their that their angels the little ones in heaven continually see the face of my father is in heaven in other words god knows because the angels are telling them uh, I believe that Matthew 18 uses the metaphor of self-removal of body parts to address harmful people inside a fellowship. What he's saying is if there are people that are causing harm inside your fellowship, get rid of them. Uh, the, the church is so often quoted as a body in um, Scripture, Paul specifically, repeatedly, that uh, I honestly believe in 18 that what he's talking about is removing the people that are causing these problems or the issues that are hurting other people uh, while in G jesus uses that exact same analogy in chapter five to address what the sin of lust so the other is dealing with what's happening in the church the other one's dealing with what's happening in your heart they're not the same teaching it's just diff two different teachings and using a same example and the example is used to drive home a point i mean gouging out your eye and cutting off an arm that's serious business that that makes you pay attention uh, there's nothing about this where jesus actually wants anyone to gouge out their eye or cut off their arm um, because uh verse 29 and 30 here are part of the statement that was made in 28 they go back to verse 28 uh, we're back in matthew 5 um, in chapter 5 the analogy is used to make a point about the heart of the law and personal sin in chapter 18 the analogy is used regarding the church and christian fellowship um i i probably mentioned it before but you know i kept seeing that and so i went to my new testament professor and i said hey does that make sense what i'm thinking here and she goes yeah and then she sent it off to some matthew scholar who said yeah absolutely that's that's reasonable and rational way to see 18 so i feel better about it uh, if on to verse 30 if your right hand makes you stumble cut it off and throw it from you for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body and go to hell which is exactly what he said in 18 
in other words, Jesus reused a sermon analogy. He didn't reuse a sermon. He used a point from one sermon and stuck it into another sermon because it's such a good point and it grabs everybody's attention. When you start talking about gouging out eyes and cutting off hands, people pay attention. And of course, people also go nuts with it. Um, Jesus is telling us to address the sickness, not the symptom. Go to the root of the matter. Uh, because one with a left eye can still lust, even though you gouged out your right eye. It doesn't stop lust. Uh, one with only a left hand can still use the right hand to reach for sin. Uh, you know, it's not the hand that makes you sin. It's not the eye that makes you sin. Uh, that would mean that God created something wrong. God, Jesus is just making an analogy here. It is an allegory, not a command to mutilate oneself. It's a command to address the issue. Take responsibility for your lust while it is in your heart, because we're still talking about lust here, uh, and will not it, and it will not express itself physically. Deal with it before it shows up. If a certain environment opens you to lust, don't go there. If certain people encourage you to go up on your roof and lust, the old analogy of the scriptural analogy of going up on the roof where nothing good happens, stay away from them. Uh, take some control. Handle it. Uh, now, as far as, now people, of course, have taken this throughout the ages and have gouged out their eyes, cut off their hands, and, uh, yeah. It, uh, hopefully it's, be, you know, God, I hope it's not because they had some pastor telling them to do it. Uh, you know, Part of the reason God sends pastors to tell you don't do that. Um, Leviticus 19.28, You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or any tattoo marks for yourself. I am the Lord. And these are vague, but what it's telling you is just stay away. First uh, Kings 18.28, The prophets of Baal were going around cutting themselves to get God's attention, which is what we're saying here, uh, that God likes that. Well, Baal liked that. Um, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 14 tells us exactly what to what to do. Uh, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Well, who thinks he stands pride. Take heed. Stop being proud. Pay attention. You too can fall very easily. And man, it's when you start believing you can't that you will. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man. Uh, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide you a way of escape also, so that you will be able to do it. One of the ways he provides to escape is not gouging out your eye and cutting off your hand. That That's not what he provided, and that's not what Jesus is saying. He's being dramatic to drive the point home. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Uh... You know, the temptation thing is uh, very interesting. Um, I think we're going to have a, as of right now, it looks like we're going to have a Ash Wednesday, Wednesday service at um, um, uh, Ann Ashley. And, you know, we had talked about this last time with the temptation of Jesus in the last chapter. And I, I, as I was looking through it, I found something very interesting and uh, that I didn't mention last time that I thought, being as it was brought up here, I will mention it now. Uh, and it's, I'm building a sermon around it, so it's sort of fresh on my mind. Um, you realize that the last thing uh, that was said, recorded as being said in Matthew after Jesus' baptism was God saying, uh, 
you are this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The very next words that are recorded as being stated are if you are the son of God. So God saying you are my son, Satan saying no you're not. <laughs> Prove it. Uh, and what's proven it is there's some sweet little verses um, especially in James that says God cannot be tempted. See Somebody could try to tempt, but he cannot be tempted. So when Satan says, prove it, the fact that temptation has no effect on him is proof in and of itself. So I just thought I'd pull that through from the past. Anyway, we move on. Jesus goes, he goes from lust to his next point. It was said, and every time he says this, he's talking about scripture. And this isn't a casual phrase. It was. He's not saying, you guys said it. He's saying, scripture says Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Uh, Deuteronomy 24.1. This is where it was said. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out from his house. That is God giving us uh, some sort of order and if you step back and try you know if you want to use that for your own benefit which is what people were doing and Jesus knows it's exactly what they were doing people started using that to get what they wanted not what God wanted so Jesus addresses it uh, in the previous verses Jesus dealt with lust here Jesus deals with social and moral responsibilities of family of a husband and wife uh, which, of course, is always the uh, God and his people. Uh, the power of a vow made before God, which is in marriage. You cannot use the law to advance your ill intentions or to advance your own desires. The law was to protect women so they could marry again. That was the whole, that certificate of divorce, it allowed a woman to marry again. Uh, this is very hard for us in, in a place where a woman could go out and just make a wonderful living doesn't need men anymore for finance which is one of the best things that's ever happened to the christian community um now we should be husband and wives for the reasons we should be other than finance uh you know sticking with someone who treats you poorly just because you would be poor if you didn't um uh commentary critical put it this way i kind of liked it so i put it in there a legal check upon reckless and tyrannical separation uh, the one legitimate ground divorce allowed by an acted by the enacted just quoted was some uncleanliness. In other words, conjugal infidelity, cheating on somebody, adultery. Um, now, because it didn't say that specifically, uh, they had stretched that to mean whatever they wanted to mean. Uh, but while one school of interpreters, this is in Jewish tradition explained that this quite correctly as prohibiting divorce in every case save that of adultery. Another school stretched the expression so far to include everything in a wife offensive or disagreeable to the husband. A view of the law too well fitted to minister to caprice and depraved inclination not to find extensive favor. And indeed to this day the Jews allow divorce on, on the most frivolous pretexts. 
allowed divorce spiritually. Uh, legally, there's nothing they can do about it. I mean, they, they can't make it happen or not happen. That's what judges do, but within the realm of their theology and their religion. It was, it was to meet this that our Lord uttered that phrase. This. But I say to you, okay, that's what the law said. The law is not wrong. It never is wrong. That everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, so he makes it extremely clear what that some un, you know, uh, what was the actual phrase again? I'm sorry. Uh, indecency in her. He so he makes it absolutely clear what that phrase means. Uh, except for unchastity, makes makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery who, as the hush falls over the congregation of Christianity. Um, what he's talking about is intent. Uh, marrying, divorcing your wife just so you can marry someone else is adultery. That's what Jesus, it's plain. I mean, he's not pulling any punches. He, this is God himself telling you it is. There's no sense in debating it. There's no sense arguing about it. Um, yes, there's a whole lot of other reasons that are just as, you know, bad, and I would have no problem with them, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if your husband beats you or anything, get out of there, uh, no issues whatsoever, but they were doing it for frivolous reasons, and adultery is an absolute, um, you have the right to do that, I'm not saying to do it, I'm just saying, as far as God's concerned, and as far as the law is concerned, he's defining, he's explaining what the law meant, because they had taken it to mean whatever they wanted it to mean uh, to benefit themselves. When Jesus said this, there were undoubtedly people listening who had done exactly that because they were told what they wanted to hear from the teachers of the law. They were teaching this. And people were going, oh, okay. And then Jesus stands up and says, oh, they're wrong. And of course, the people who were teaching it are listening. I'm sure this was an oh-no moment and they had to decide if they should continue to follow Jesus who had just called them adulterers. This is one of those moments where you have to decide, oh my goodness, I have to give up something I really want, uh, or I have to repent from something that I did, that I really wanted to do. Uh, that's where you have to decide, is Jesus worth it? Is Christianity worth it? Are you willing to pick up your cross and follow him? Uh, it's just one of the many things that challenge us. In each one of us, it's something different. But uh, this one uh, hits, hits home. Uh, basically what it's saying is if you do that, uh, and not only are you doing it, let's say a man divorces his wife because he wants to marry another woman. So the guy who marries his wife is also guilty. <laughs> God's spreading the butter really thick across the toast, man. Um, he ain't playing games here. He, he's very serious. Uh, doesn't matter how uh casual we take marriage don't matter god never took it casually he just doesn't anytime you invoke his name in something he pays attention which brings us to right after marriage the next point jesus says again you have heard that the ancients were told in other words you heard it in the law you shall not make false vows but you shall fulfill your vows to the lord uh, Leviticus 9, 19-12 You shall not swear falsely by my name, so to profane the name of God, I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 5, 11 You shall not take the, Lord, the name of your Lord God in vain, 
for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. What does in vain mean? Using it where it wasn't meant to be used. Using it where you have no right to use it. Using it frivolously. Uh, throwing it in there to add weight to your words. God isn't there to prove your arguments. The creators of heaven and earth can't be used as the, uh, you know, the triple dog there of uh, you know, your life. Once again, commentary critical. Hit it pretty strong. The maker of oaths, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, was next addressed by the Lord. The Pharisees were notorious for their oaths, which, remember, a lot of this is directed right to the teachers of the law who were standing there. Uh, uh, least the, made with the least provocation. Yet they made allowances for mental reservations within their oaths. In other words, they made them, but they went like, yeah, but, like that. Uh, if they wanted to be uh, relieved of oaths they had made by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or by one's own head, they could argue that since God himself had not been involved in their oaths, the oaths weren't binding. I didn't do anything wrong. I swear by my, I swear by the heavens. I swear by the earth that what I'm saying is true. I swear by Jerusalem that what I'm saying is true. So they started doing that which is basically the same thing, trying to skirt around. Um, but Jesus said, oaths should, should not even be necessary. Do not swear at all. The fact that oaths were used at all to emphasize the wickedness of man's heart. Uh, but I say to you, okay, you, you see the pattern here. Jesus says, the law says, but I say, and in no case does he ever say the law is wrong. He explains the law. He says, you, this is what the law says. This is what you've done with it. Here's what you should do with it. In every one of these, that's what's happening. But I say to you, make no oaths at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. So he addresses each of the, See, these things he's saying are things they were saying. Or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Capital K, king. Nor shall you make an oath, uh, oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. In other words, how can you do that? It, you have no power there. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. Saying it isn't evil, saying it without respect or without intention to fulfill is evil. Doing it in vain is evil. Why you say it and how you adhere to it is what makes it evil or not evil. Because, if you will realize, take a little think about it, Paul in 2 Corinthians one twenty three, and Galatians one twenty swears by God. But I call God as my witness to my soul. Ask God. I'm standing on God here. That to spare you, I did not come again to Corinth. He's telling them, I swear to God. That's why I did it. Galatians. Now that I'm writing you, and I assure you before God that I'm not lying. I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. Um, well, this is scripture. It is the truth. We know it's the truth because it's scripture. And he's standing on it. Uh, Christ said don't do it, but here he does to make dramatic effect. I'll leave it to you to figure out the fact that it made scripture, the fact that he did it. Apparently there is a use for it, but it's not in vain. And it's not frivolous. Uh, Jesus responds to the invoking of God's name. Matthew 26, 
62 through 64. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? That is, uh, what is it that these men are testifying against you? Jesus kept silent. The priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. You see, the high priest invokes God's name to get God to talk. You understand the complexity of the situation. Um, Jesus said to him, and Jesus responds, You have said it yourself, nevertheless I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. <laughs> In other words, yep, <laughs> you're going to know it. I don't even have to say it because you're going to see it. Jesus moves on. He goes to the law. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is the law of retaliation. Well, or, if you consider it, the law of justice. This law is given to protect the innocent and to make sure retaliation did not occur beyond the offense. We quote this all the time as if we have a right to like, go ahead and break somebody's arm or to hurt somebody who had done something to us. Uh, the purpose of this law really was these two things. Uh, to protect the innocent, to make sure innocent people didn't get punished. And because anytime you give people power to punish, oh, it really has to be uh, muted somehow. Here Jesus is straightening things out that we had incorrectly used or applied from the law. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. If a man struggles, if, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child, it's very detailed, by the way. This is a particular incident. So that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. He shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. And he shall pay as the judge decides. There's judges involved. There's a trial involved. But if there is any further injury, you shall appoint as a penalty life for life. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, we were talking about a pregnant woman, but this is spread over everything. Because in Leviticus 24, 19 through 20, If a man injures his neighbor just as he has, just as he has done, so it should be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured the man, it shall be inflicted on him. Nothing more. Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 20. If a malicious... Oh, <laughs> you know... God gave uh, Israel power to punish, and then he put some things in there to make sure we didn't go goofy, as of course we will. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, in other words, a liar, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days, before the authorities who judge such things. The judge shall investigate thoroughly. These are things that, you know, that that's important stuff. Uh, and if the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, in other words, if it's proven, then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. Thus, why do we do that? Thus, you shall purge evil from among you. In other words, if I lie about Frank and said that Frank stole something, cut his hand off, and... So what, if it found out that I lied, they're going to cut my hand off. That would really cut back on the lying. It really would. Uh, the rest will hear and be afraid. 
and will never again do such an evil thing, lying to hurt somebody among you. Thus you shall not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. We're talking about punishing the person who lied. No pity. Do it. You know, if I lied about something that would put Frank to death, then God says put him to put Jeff to death. There's no pity here. Do it. Where's uh, that again? That is Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 21. It's all in there to check human aggression and to make sure justice prevails. 39, but I say to you, so Jesus goes a step further. Everybody's running around, poking each other in the eye, breaking arms, uh, demanding somebody's life be taken. They're all standing on this law. And Jesus says this, yeah, it's all true, but here's what I'm telling you. Do not resist an evil person or slaps your right cheek turn to him the other also. In other words, don't slap him back that you have the right to do under the law. 39 through 42, Jesus speaks to the civil law that says to the nation, you shall. But Jesus speaks to the individual and says, do not claim your right. He's saying it, they're all rights, but what I'm telling you is, go beyond that, go deeper. This is grace, and grace can only be offered by the one who has the power to offer it. So, let me explain that to you. If Frank slaps me and punches me in the face, I now, under the law, have power over Frank. The power that says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I now get to punch Frank back and knock his tooth out. Uh, that gives me power. That power opens up an avenue for grace. I now have the power to not only retaliate, but I also have the power for grace. And in the relationship between the two uh, people we're fighting, I'm the only one that has that power because I'm the offended party. That gives me power under the law. Grace gives that power away. Uh, grace can only be offered by the one who has the power of another. In this case, the power of justice and retribution. That's what Jesus is saying here. Romans 12, 17-21, Paul makes the same point. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone, even though the law says you can. Respect what's right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, which the law said you can. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap uh, burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me expand that a little bit. Overcome evil with grace. Is that not how God overcame my evil and my offenses to him? Jesus is saying very early on, before he dies, before he rises again, before he goes into deep theology, this is what I'm going to expect from you. Because this is what I'm going to do for you. He takes it further. If anyone wants to... Now we're going out of the realm of that. Now we're going into uh, finance and things like that. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Give it to him. In the next three verses, just, Jesus isn't saying, own nothing. He is saying, let nothing own you. 
I mean, you own it. It's yours to give away or not give away. That's the value of owning something, is you can do what you want with it. The, only, the value of owning something isn't that you can keep it forever. It's that you can give it away. It's yours. You can do that. That's the real value of owning something. If you can't give it away, it owns you. This speaks to the value of other salvation and what your witness to this world will cost you. Everyone knows that the value of something is based on what you're willing to pay for it or what you're willing to give for it. This tells the world that you truly value them more than you do your stuff. He goes on. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Uh, more meaning for them than us. Uh, soldiers would constrict people to carry their, you know, their stuff for a mile, and then they say, "Go back home," so you didn't have to walk all the way back. He said, "No, just say okay," and then say, "No, I'm good. I'll go another mile." This verse speaks to those who force you to do something that will cost you. The next verse speaks to those who ask you to do something that will cost you. Force or ask, either way, compulsion or persuasion, it doesn't matter to God. The heart of the law is to give what you can and do what you can with a glad heart. Be why? Because God did it for you. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Asking to give and borrowing are two different things and God is saying, uh, consult with me before you consult with your bank book. I can't put it simpler than that. Ask God what he wants you to do. Uh, I'm not saying that everything is a wise thing to do, and I'm not saying that everything, uh, you know, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, give me your grandkids' college money. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, I, but I will ask the Lord, what can I do for this person? Uh, it's the heart of the matter he's talking about here. Don't get caught up in the specifics and the, and the details. This is the heart of what he's talking about, is be willing to give uh, the person is far more important than your pride or your your possessions. Uh, then he goes on to the uh, um, so it's it's either asks you to give or wants to borrow. God doesn't care if you can do it, do it, especially if they have the need. You've heard it's uh, that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, that's not in scripture. He's just saying that the Jews have said it. The Jews had incorporated this idea into the theology. A disdain for Gentiles, basically, is what he's talking about here. So Jesus is talking about hating us. I love the Jews, hate the Gentiles. Uh, what we often do in this world, the Romans proclaimed that the... Actually, the Romans proclaimed that the... Boom, 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 boom. Uh... The Romans knew the Jews were like this, and they, the Jews used to say, the Romans used to say, the Jews hate everybody. <laughs> what, what difference? They hate mankind. Uh, pride causes us to hate. It makes us feel better about ourselves by reducing others. At least I'm not one of them. When we feel justified about hating somebody, that makes us feel better about ourselves. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Wow, that's big stuff. Uh, ask yourself, do I love and pray for those who are against me? Do I do for them what Jesus did for me? In the kingdom of heaven, there is no justification for hating those who God loves. Uh, we're not allowed. It's okay to be wise as a serpent, 
but you also must be gentle as a dove. In 45, he says, so why you need to do this? Why all these things I just said? Why you should love your enemies and pray, you know, pray for those who persecute you? Ask God to help the people who are hurting you so that you may be sons of your father. So that you can be Christians who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Boy, do we misuse that verse. Jesus tells us why we should do such things because we will be doing what God does. We will be our father's sons and people will recognize that we're doing what God does. People should be able to look at our lives and see a resemblance of our father. This resemblance is not proclaimed by our politics or even our theological ideas, but by doing for others what God has done for us and being like him when it is absolutely needed the most by the people who need it the most. Jesus came to serve. He left us here to continue that mission. Serving others cripples our pride. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. Take note that every once in a while Jesus throws in a few words about reward and punishment. They're real. They're real. He does this so that we remember that they're real and that they matter. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time on them. But just about every other page or so, there's a word about punishment, or your reward will be greater, their punishment will be greater. Uh, it's not something we preach or talk about a lot, but it's there. We're not just talking about salvation, we're talking about reward in salvation. We're not just talking about condemnation, but punishment in condemnation. Um, let me see what else, how much more we got here. Okay, well, I'll leave off there. That's... I thought I was going to be able to wrap that up, but I'm not. We'll wrap it up early next week. Sure we will. Uh, verse 47. Any questions, comments, or criticisms? Verse 47. Ooh, we, we flew through that. Uh, this is really... This is big theology. <laughs> you know, you talk about Romans and the depth of theology, and it surely is there, but man, if you dig into this and you really think about what he's saying, he's straightening everybody out i mean it's just like uh you know the head theologian showed up you know and just straightened everybody out um it's also pretty ego busting oh absolutely which is what why everything went wrong because of our pride uh our pride number one our pride does what it wants to do or uh, because our pride tells us we can do what we want to do no we can't uh, and Jesus just, wow. he goes right to the heart of the law. He said, if you're not following the heart of the law, then, you know, you think God's happy? You know. Uh, anything else? Any comments, criticisms, anything like that? I, I I hope you guys get how deep this stuff is, man. This Jesus is saying stuff that nobody said. That, that nobody, <laughs> this is, when he was done talking, people were like this. <laughs> like, scratching their heads and thinking, like, what did you just say? You know, because, and I never lose sight of the scribes and Pharisees and the religious teachers standing there listening to him talk about them. This is the beginning. I'm getting really angry. Th this, and he knows that saying these things is going to get him killed. He says them anyway because they're truth. He knows that, man, he is, he is spitting right in their eye right off the bat. 
and it continues for three years until when he's actually being beaten and crucified, they're mocking him because they're so happy. You know, if you're a God, bring yourself down from the cross. Who slapped you that time? You know, think about Man, it was because of this stuff. And he knew it would happen. He did it anyway. He told the truth no matter what it cost him. He could have put it more palatable way. He could have uh, stroked their egos a bit. But their egos were the problem. Why would he? You know what I mean? Um, it's fascinating stuff. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, man, just teach us what we individually and collectively need to know from this. Um, this isn't about them. It's about us. And uh, just drive it home. Uh, let your spirit pick it up from our minds, take it into our hearts, and change us so that we're no longer part of the problem but part of the solution in this poor, sad world. Watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. And Lord, help us all to glorify your name in what we think, what we do, and what we say in every occasion. In Jesus' name, amen.